Welcome to The Future of Journalism, the podcast from the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. I'm Mahira Salva, Director of the Journalist Fellowship Programme at the Institute. This is a year when we really need to ask what journalism is for, and crucially, who it is for. Trust in journalism is at crossroads. For many, it is now abundantly clear why a functioning society needs impartial, accurate and timely information and why journalists are often the best people to provide it. For others, the newspapers, TV channels and websites they see don't speak to them, are not relevant to their lives and are frankly just depressing. These are questions everyone in the media industry needs to grapple with and we're trying to answer them here with the help of someone who's thought about these issues for many years. Our guest today is Cathy English, a former public editor of the Toronto Star and a journalist fellow at the Reuters Institute, where she's researching the issue of trust in media and what it means to be a public editor. Cathy, thank you and for welcome, and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Mira. Happy to be here. Happy to be at Oxford doing the Journalism Fellowship. Fantastic. Can you talk us through the role of the public editor or the reader's editor? It's a very old-fashioned role in a way, but in a, I also think it's something that absolutely is pertinent for now? Sure. Well, you know, it's a role that has a 50-year history in journalism, but has never really been truly embraced at any one time since 1972, when the, the first positions were instituted. There have been, you know, maybe 60 uh, public editors in the world. The position started out being called ombudsman. At some point, uh, it also became reader's editor, public editor. So the role is really central to accountability. It's an accountability mechanism in journalism, a way for news audiences to have one person in the newsroom that they can go to and say, I don't think this is right, or why did you do this? And then that person is obligated to, to seek answers for that person. And is it an interface between the reader and the newsroom or a way to connect the journalists with the public? How do you see the, the connections being? I think it's both. I, I, sort of, I looked at it always as um, th there's, there's a news literacy function to it. The part of it is explaining um, journalism to readers and but also making the concerns of readers of news audiences clear to the newsroom to make sure that the newsroom isn't always operating in what can sometimes be a little bit of an arrogant vacuum in, in we do what we do. It, this really tries to bring the reader into the process. It, it's also, it, it's done in different ways at different news organizations, but it's, it's also very much a part of accuracy that people can report errors. A public editor will uh, do corrections, will investigate things that have gone wrong. That's the next question I was going to come to, actually. You've done this role for a very long time, and we've discussed it in the fellowship program how the nature of the role has changed, but also the kind of questions that are raised and the issues you're out, allowed to, are being asked to mediate on are changing. Could you explain a bit where you see the trends going? What do you used to have to do and what do you do now? Sure. Well, um, yeah, I, I did the job for 13 years and I was the longest serving public editor in the news organization that has had the role the longest time of anyone in the world, as far as I have been able to determine. And, and I know we have to be careful with superlatives, but I, I the, the star started the role in 1972. So, you know, I, I, thanks to this fellowship, I've been able to do, you know, much more research on the history of the role. And it would seem that when it started um, in the early seventies, 
there was a lot of, I, I, I would characterize it almost as polite complaints. Um, you know, certainly the always complaints about typos and spelling errors, um, those sorts of things have, have always um, come to news ombudsmen and public editors. But particularly since 2016, since the US election of Donald Trump, um, and certainly we've talked about this at our organization of news ombudsman meetings, the, the, the tenor of the complaints has intensified, the accusations of your fake news have, have come at us all around the world. Um, and there has been a sense that, you know, for me, part of, of the role of being a, a public editor that's going to be accountable to readers is helping readers understand what is real news? What are the elements of, of trustworthy journalism? What is it that you should hold journalists to account as a member of the audience? Because journalists do owe the, their, their audiences, the, the public, um, something. And, 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 and I think it's important to help the public understand what they should hold us to account for. And how do you do that? Is it through columns in the newspaper? Is it through social media? How do you get this kind of message out? Um, I wrote and a weekly listen. <laughs> I wrote a weekly column, um, but I also um, I, I found Twitter to be very helpful for some of these discussions. I I, I know it can be a cesspool sometime, but um, I always. Uh, tweeted out all our daily corrections you know, that as a form of accountability. I did a lot of public speaking on behalf of, of the Toronto Star to talk about the standards, the practices. Again, you know, here's what you should hold us to account for. If you've got a, a complaint with the news organization, here's how you should complain um, and, and do complain because that's what I'm, I'm there for. And do you think it's effective? Did you find that the readers viewed you differently? Did it make them more polite? Did, you know, do you feel I, it increased trust as well, crucially? I wish there was some way to measure that. That That's always the big question, isn't it? What, how, how do you measure something like that? I feel certainly anecdotally, uh, you know, I have file folders full of emails from readers who said, you know, who said to me, we're glad you're there. Um, and in some of the, the the toughest columns that, you know, where you really have to say, here's how this newsroom screwed up on this particular thing. Those were the ones that people seem, um, that readers seem to like the best. And I think that because we tell them as journalists that we hold others to account, they were really grateful that somebody inside the newsroom was holding the newsroom to account. And, and I think that's how I looked at the role that I had to be a journalist of the newsroom, reporting on the newsroom when something went wrong, reporting why did it go wrong? What, what is there something systemic here? Um, you know, who needs to take responsibility here? And how did the journalists react to you, do you think? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's always mixed. When, when ombudsmen get together at their conferences, it's always sort of called the, we say it's like we do the loneliest job in journalism. And, <laughs> and I, I used to sort of say that, you know, somebody was always cross with me. If it wasn't a member of the public who wasn't, who didn't really like the way I had adjudicated something or someone in the newsroom. I mean, I, I don't think it's any secret to en anywhere, anyone, as I've been doing more research on accountability, I see it's quite universal that 
th there is a lot of defensiveness in, in journalism and, and nobody likes to be held to account for their mistakes or even being questioned before it's um, determined that there's a mistake. But I do feel that within the newsroom I worked in, because there was such a tradition of, of the role uh, that it was supported at the highest levels of the board, that there, there was a, a respect and a sense that yes, we do owe readers something. So, you know, there would be individual journalists that would get very cross with me, but generally I, I feel it was well-received and, and the most rewarding things for me, um, I did a lot of training with our, with interns on accuracy ethics and the rewarding things for me would, would be when people would come to me with their ethical dilemmas and, and you know, kind of want to be, talk it through and sort of de determine what is the what right course of action here. You mentioned a conference of ombudsman, which conjures up a lovely image, actually. And I think <laughs> it'd be a great fun place, great place to be, great fun. But it, is, it does raise another issue, which is what are the kind of people that become ombudsmen? Because we've been talking a lot about diversity in the media, and it strikes me that this is a role that's um, embedded in the newsroom and often a role that only really exists in fairly well-established legacy media that can afford to have someone in this role. And therefore it you know, might be a bit more traditional or a bit more conservative than many of the readers and audiences would like, especially the modern audiences. I, th I think you're absolutely right there, Mira. Um, the, the, the research and, and my anecdotal um, information says that it, it's a role that generally goes to someone with more than 30 years experience um, as a reporter and an editor. Um, very often, particularly probably in the first 20 years of that role, that was a white man who um, had put in his time in the newsroom, um, achieved you know some measure of dignity and success, and it was a last role. Over, I think my first ombudsman conference was in 2007. Uh, we were at the Neiman Institute at Harvard, which was also a great privilege. But th at that point, there were there were three new public editors and ombudsmen, and all of us were uh, women in our 40s. And I think that 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 there was a sort of sense that something was changing. Um, I, I don't think it's changed a lot. And that's one of the things I wanna look at is, is you know, I mean, one of the things we talk a lot about, thanks to you in this fellowship is, is, you know, who has a seat at the table, whose voice is heard. And, you know, this is a role about holding judgments about what is trustworthy, responsible journalism. So you sort of have to look at who is the person and, and there's as much a need for diversity uh, within this role, within any accountability, as, as there is in every newsroom I've ever worked in. I mean, if you were running a big organization right now and you, you were given a budget to hire a public editor, what kind of profile would, would you want? What kind of person would you try to hire? I know it slightly depends on the media organization. Yeah, but... of course, it always does. Well, you know, I mean, I think we're all thinking about the failures of, of journalism to uh, be diverse and inclusive. So I, I would try and put that at, at, at the forefront of my decision-making at this point. Um, the Toronto Star has, has in fact just appointed someone they call an internal ombud. Um, she is not going to be reporting to the readers, but she is working within the newsroom to give other journalists um, someone to go to when they have concerns about something that might be um, racist or 
um, hmm. not um, not aligned with the goals of inclusivity. Uh, that was just launched in September, so I'm I, I'm watching that closely, and and we'll talk to her. But I, I could see something like that. You know, someone. A, a journalist of color who has who has earned respect for as being a journalist because you, you have to you have to know your journalism, but who's also open to understanding that um, journalism does evolve. And I, I was I was talking to this woman recently for for, for my research, and um, she informed me that that the star since I've um, left in July. Um, has decided to even look at the journalistic standards through an anti-oppression lens. So that's something that she has brought to the table. And, and I guess that's what I would call for is, you know, how do we have more of those discussions? Um, I was happy the our ombudsman group uh, did a Zoom a couple weeks ago with Tom Rosensteel, the author of The Elements mm -hmm. of Journalism, co-author. And we had a whole discussion on this whole issue on what is impartiality in journalism and, and how does that work with a job where you are supposed to uphold, or I think we ca they called it objectivity, um, but how your job is meant to uphold it. A lot, a lot of ombudsmen do come from public broadcasting because they seem to have the best budgets and obviously the most need for accountability. So that's a real question uh, within public broadcasting. That's a really interesting point. Kathy, thank you very much for your time. You've raised some really important issues there. Thank you for joining us as well for this podcast and Kathy's publication, her work with us will be published um, some point next year, early next year as well. And I really look forward to reading it. Thank you. Thank you, Mira. Take care. Bye. Our guest today was Kathy English, the former public editor of the Toronto Star and a journalist fellow at the Reuters Institute. Make sure to follow our podcast channel on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. And if you don't want to miss any news from the Institute, subscribe to our weekly newsletter by clicking the link on our Twitter bio or on our homepage. Thank you for listening to The Future of Journalism. I'm Mira Salva. We'll be back soon. Mm -hmm.